Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best in change to you. In this episode of the Change Management Review from the Field Series, Managing Editor Brian Gorman continues his conversation with Daniel Locke, Principal of Daniel Locke Consulting. This is part two of their two-part series, where Brian and Daniel discuss nine change management principles from research. This is Brian Gorman, the Managing Editor of Change Management Review. I want to welcome you to the second part of our podcast with Daniel Locke. Daniel is the principal of Daniel Locke Consulting, helping to unlock value, to improve productivity, to achieve breakthrough performance through change, project management, and process improvement. Daniel has worked with large banking corporations in Australia, including Westpac, National Australia Bank, Macquarie Bank, as well as numerous smaller organizations, helping them to improve processes, operations, and business reorganizations. He is a regular speaker on the topic of change management and has had his work published in CIO.com.au, Process Excellent Network, and Management Today, as well as several other publications. The facilitation of collaboration workshops to develop strategy, Implementing innovation strategies and process improvement are key tools used in Daniel's work. Welcome back, Daniel. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be back. So in our last podcast, we were talking about a few of the uh, more uh, controversial or or, uh, sort of outside-the-box principles that appear in your article, uh, Nine Change Management Principles from Research. I want to pick up on that and move into a few more. Uh, All too often, organizational leaders, and even some of us as change practitioners, consider resistance a sign that something is not going right. In fact, resistance is a natural part of the change cycle. In addition to the principle that we discussed in the uh, first podcast on collaboration, two others of your principles address resistance. One reads, focus on change readiness balanced for change resistance. And the other reads, rigorous implementation planning averts resistance. I'd be interested in hearing more about how you approach resistance and, and what you mean by these principles. Yeah, sure. So, look, in the um, focus on change readiness, balance for change resistance, um, that's principle four. And um, what I'm getting at there is um, what we focus on makes a difference. And I just think as humans, it's easy, you know, to direct our attention on what's wrong and what's not working and to start to focus on um, the resistance that's sort of there in front of you. And what I love about this principle is to instead focus on what will it take to be change ready um, for the organisation as opposed to overcoming change resistance. Now, um, it doesn't mean that we don't, and this is what I mean by balance for change resistance, is that you don't need to, um, be Pollyanna about the world and you know um, 
ignore the fact that actually change resistance actually does in fact happen and it does. And it's important that we acknowledge that. Um, but what scientists have found, even when it comes to losing weight, is that when people focus on the goal they want to achieve and uh, say losing weight in this instance, and then they think through all the difficulties that they might actually have to overcome in order to lose weight, like going to a party and, you know, um, Thanksgiving and, and then Christmas and all the party seeds that leads up and how they're going to deal with that so that they don't blow their, blow their diet completely. When people think through that, they put in sort of if-then contingent plans in advance, they're much, much more likely to be successful. And so to carry that through to organisational change, what I, what I encourage change leaders to do and the leadership people leading change to do is to focus on change readiness. What will it take for us to be ready to enact this change and to enable and, and sustain this change? And But where are the sources of resistance likely to come from? And what are the, what are the sources of um, resistance likely to be? And let's put in plans to deal with those now. And that's really what this principle is getting, is getting at. Thank you. Would you explain for us your principle that focuses on measurement? It, it reads, use to-go thinking and focus on what you will do. Yeah, so this one is like a corollary of that principle four, which is, um, you know, the old adage, what gets measured gets done, really super important. We all know that. Um, and to have some leading indicators that give you an indication of what is left to, to attain in order to um, implement uh, or have your goal fulfilled is really, really important. And so it just directs the brain, these measures that direct the brain, brain and what's left to do. So, you know, all too often in organisations, we focus on our status reports and we talk about what's been accomplished or what's been done as, and, um, you know, doesn't, it focuses on the past and there's not enough focus on the future. And what we want to look at is what's that gap or the to-go, what's still to-go in order for us to be change-ready. And um, so, for example, we want to start putting in measures like um, what, uh, um, how to assess change readiness, for example. We want to start looking at, um, you know, running focus groups and um, uh, targeted surveys and change readiness questionnaires. I, I use an index called a buy-in index, um, which I run periodically throughout a project, usually at the start, through the middle and towards the end. And it's just a simple set of five questions, which um, it's not particularly scientific, but it gives some indication of how far we have to go and in what particular areas of leadership, is it resistance, is it training, is it communications, um, about to, in order to get the organisation um, change ready. And so we really want to focus on um, bringing... Um, measures that will give us leading indicators of what is still to go. Um, and um, I just think it, it's a very powerful way of um, framing measurements. Um, look, I was just working on a report yesterday that showed how many complaints that had arisen from this particular project in the past. But again, we're really not talking about, well, what is an ideal level of complaints and um, how we're going to manage them going forward. It's all about past-based reporting. And so we really want to look at um, 
developing some leading indicators that give us an indication of what's to go. And the focus there, which is the corollary for number four, is focusing on change readiness. That's our goal as change managers. One of the things I really, really like about this, and it, it comes to my mind again listening to you talk about it, is that as you get closer to the goal, um, more and more change initiatives lose their momentum, they slow down. There's, there's this exhaustion of, you know, and, and there's this look, look at what we have accomplished, exactly what you're talking about. And you lose sight of the destination. So I, I really appreciate this principle because it keeps you focused on where you're headed. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And, um, and, and for change managers, change readiness is our primary goal. Right. Um, and uh, I, I think that's, you know, we always want to be looking at well, what's the gap from where we are today that will bring the organization to change readiness. I don't think that there'd be any disagreement among change practitioners that communication is pretty important. Um, what does your principle on communi communication tell us that may be new to our listeners? Um, look, it's just in organizations, um, my God, you know, the deluge of communication is extraordinary. You know, um, there's Yammer, which, you know, for those, I mean, most of your listeners will probably know, uh, but uh, Yammer, you know, like the Facebook of the organization, um, email, of course, which is just a bombardment of communications. Um, and we've got town hall meetings and there's one-on-one -on -one meetings and there's, you know, innumerable different channels and places for communications. And what's astonishing to me is how often when I speak to people that are affected by change, they say, I don't feel like I'm being communicated to. And um, so it's just something that I, th I think is, um, is just such an incredible tightrope and you can almost never do too much except that you can. And, you know, the best, one of the great analogies I heard, I can't remember where it was now, but it was years ago, um, you know, communication is a lot like glue. Um, not enough and things fall apart and too much and it gums up the works. And I think in the modern organisation, we're almost a little bit on the side of too much. And that's what I wanted to get at in this point. And I think I've got a study in there in the article that's looking at it now where, you know, um, knowledge workers check their emails on average 36 times every hour. And when we get interrupted, it takes 16 minutes for us to refocus. And um, this is an extraordinary distraction that communications can be. Um, what I've focused on here, though, is um, different ways you can have um, uh, conversations and initiate conversations in an organisation. And the thing I want to preface this with is I often talk about, like, politicians, you know, have simple messages for change leaders. They have simple messages and they just repeat them. They repeat them, they repeat them, they repeat them to get the cut through. And I think in organisations, local organisations, we need to do something similar for, um, for leaders. But then... Uh, this is great book um, that I, uh, Four Conversations, um, Daily Communications that Gets Results. And um, they in there list four different types of conversation, an initiative conversation, an understanding conversations, performance conversations and closure conversations. The ones we're probably focused on a lot as organisational change 
people is initiative conversations, which is the conversations you use, to, which is the key message stuff. You know, it's the high level, it's the what, it's the why, it's the when, um, and then moving into understanding conversations, which is a lot about the hot, the how, the where, the who's affected. Um, and these are your two main conversations that you'll be driving at an organizational level. So for example, you know, um, understanding conversations could be some of these workshops, collaboration workshops, where you're really starting to understand what is this change for key um, impacted people, uh, brown bag lunches, um, um, lunch and learns, for example, for people to do, or drop in sessions and so on for people to understand changes and how it affects them. And then finally, you know, you've got performance conversations, which is about who's going to do what by when. And they're often very um, targeted conversations that get uh, really important. But internal com, this is something I want to touch on. Internal conversations in communication between project in the project team is really critically important because one of the other principles I've got there is one of the source, great sources of ambiguity and uh, great sources of resistance in change is ambiguity and ambiguity in change is just inherent because the life is uncertain. We're changing things from the business as usual to the unknown and consequently just things get strange and we don't, want to introduce any more ambiguity as an as a project team as an organizational change management team than necessary and so keeping your communication tight with good quality performance conversations becomes really super important um, as is your promises you keep to your uh, to your um, affected parties and, and stakeholders as you move through the change and finally having really good closure conversations and bringing closure to your project I can't tell you how many projects I've worked on or being impacted by and the project kind of just fizzles out and um, it's implemented to some degree. Maybe some of them, maybe even deemed a success in some instances, but no one comes back and celebrates what happened or even just acknowledges what happened. The results, good, bad or indifferent. Um, and um, it can leave people um, um, sort of a little bit bereft around the change, uh, which could have been, um, given um, some closure and acknowledgement and really um, um, learn from. And I just think too often in organisations we're off to the next thing. Um, and so there's some, uh, I just articulated in that post, just some, real, some structures there that you can, um, and ways to think about the change and um, how uh, communication rather and how you can start to structure your conversations and at what levels um, in, in, uh, in your next change um, initiative. There's a lot for us to, to, to think about there and hopefully to put into action. Finally, Daniel, we have your ninth principle, get some grit. It sounds like a challenge to change practitioners. What do you mean by it? Look, I just think, um, I just love the work by uh, Duckworth on grit. I just think it's just um, kind of one of those common sense uh, when you read it, you go, wow, that's just, that's common sense. And someone's gone and researched and proved it. And, uh, but it's like simple and profound, you know, like um, theory of relativity or something. I don't, not that it's necessarily that impactful. I don't know, but it's just, I really love this idea of grit. And, um, you know, and I, I just find it so analogous, it's so appropriate to change an organizational change is because it really is, it's not, um, it just requires such incredible persistence to make change happen. And, um, and you know, it's 
she, uh, Duckworth defines it as the perseverance and passion for long-term goals. And, you know, for example, um, a simple process change in an organisation, it takes between three and six months. I'm always astonished at how long it, cha- it can take for changes that to actually happen in an organisation, in a larger organisation. You know, an organisational restructure would take between 18 months and two years for it to be fully better down. I mean, that's a long time, a long time. And um, I just think organisational change really needs that quality and attribute of grit. And it needs to be, as change managers, we need to alert um, uh, our change leaders to what they're signing themselves up for. Because so often they be- it seems to me that they think that it, this is going to happen, you know, we're going to do this change and they've already mapped it out in their head, so to speak, and they're going to, we're going to implement and move on. And then it takes much, much longer and they're, and they're kind of surprised. And, you know, um, I think I got some axioms in there, which is like, you know, which I love as well. Nothing fail, you, you know, you fail until you succeed. And, um, and that's so true. So when you're doing, you know, um, the way to bring this down, I think emphasizing grit and celebrating small successes along the way are really important. Um, Duckworth always talks about a fixed mindset um, and the growth mindset. And I'm not, I just think it's important to challenge people's assumptions and beliefs about why things won't work. Um, At the same time, soliciting people's resistance and objections is really important too. And then, um, uh, I think just emphasising for organisations um, uh, the need for persistence and um, it just becomes critically important. And I, and I think I'm going to update this article, um, just talking to you now, Brian, to really articulate my, what, you know, like how long I think people, you know, organisational change takes, like, you know, a process improvement takes about three months and organisational, like a department reorganisation can, can take about 18 months and, and, you know, a strategic uh, uh, sort of change for a larger organisation can take three to five, three to five years. So I'm, I'm going to update I'm going to update this article to really um, articulate just how long it takes and how much effort it takes to really implement change. I've done some work on the neuroscience of coaching and, um, and, and change, and it actually takes a good 90 days to reprogram our neural networks. So if you're changing a process that I'm expected to implement, um, I can start doing it, but but to really have it fully um, hardwired, if you will, into my brain and into my muscle memory, it is going to take 90 days. Yeah, I can get that. I can really get that. And if you do a, a department reorganization, there's usually several processes that need to be organized and that's um perhaps several loops of 90 days that need to be exactly exactly well we're out of time here daniel but i very much appreciate uh, your time and the wisdom that you have shared with us in these two podcasts so again this is um, brian gorman managing editor of change management review with daniel Locke the principal of Daniel Locke Consulting. And Daniel, uh, whereabouts are you located? Um, I am physically located in Sydney, Australia. Um, I do most of my work um, here in uh, Sydney. Um, I do some work in Singapore. Um, And um, you can find me 
on the web at daniellock.com. Okay, so thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast with Managing Editor Brian Gorman. Be sure to check out our website at changemanagementreview.com. We also invite you to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and join us on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening.